This is the Thrive Podcast with Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. And now, Pastor Fred Jeff Smith. Welcome to the Thrive Podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. I'm Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh, and I'm very happy that you are either viewing on YouTube or listening on uh, iTunes to this week's podcast. Uh, We, again, invite you to uh, let us know how we're doing. You can reach me at fredjeffsmith at cox.net. You can tell me, good or bad, how the podcast is going, and we appreciate your listenership and your viewership. I am honored today to have uh, Mr. Duran Rudy Macklin, uh, who serves as the uh, head of the Louisiana Bureau of Minority Health Access and the head of the Governor's Council on Physical Fitness and Sports to be our guest today. I'm honored not because of these positions that he holds, but I'm honored because Rudy is one of the longtime members of the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. And uh, I'm grateful that he took time out of his very busy schedule to come and share with us. Rudy, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. I I want you all to know that this is a busy, busy man. (laughs) When when we reached out to him, he was more than happy to do so. But uh, finding a a, a time that worked uh, when he was in town and actually here for a minute was was a difficult proposition. So I'm not going to waste a whole lot of time. Rudy. Mm -hmm. You're from Louisville. How'd you end up in Baton Rouge, Louisiana? Well, I was being recruited by Dale Brown and about maybe uh, another 200 schools across the country to play basketball, high school basketball. I was a blue chipper. Yeah. They call, it. they call them McDonald's All-Americans now and something else, but I was a blue chipper. Mm-hmm. And uh, my best friend, Dale Griffith, was the number one player in the country in Louisville. And my other buddy, Bobby Turner, was one of the top players. So they all three thought we were going to the University of Louisville. And so uh, when I narrowed it down to <clears throat> excuse me, Louisville and LSU, uh, everybody was wondering why LSU. And so uh, Coach Dale Brown was a master recruiter. Mm-hmm. Uh, he came to my high school, my principal met with us. He said, okay, we're going to end this right now. I'm tired of all these coaches coming by. And my <laughs> father said, we need to get this house back to order, back, <laughs> back to normal. Uh, they, back then, you know, recruiting rules were laxed. Okay. And uh, they were following my parents around, following my siblings around, you know, following me around, calling all hours of the night. Mm-hmm. You know, and so my father said, let's get this house back to normal. So Dale Brown, he was very smart. He said, Rudy, why don't you take me to the park where you learned how to play ball? It was a very famous park called Shawnee Park. Uh, We had a summer league called the Dirt Bowl. I played in the pro division of the Dirt Bowl since the 10th grade. And so he wanted to see this park. So I took him to the park. I was about to take him to the park. And I said, well, well, Denny Crum from Louisville had called and said, don't do anything until I get there. Right. And so Coach Dale Brown said, well, we're going to come right back. And so we took off in the car, and I saw Denny Crum pulling in. I said, well, I need to tell Coach Crum that we're coming back. He said, no, 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 he'll be there when we get back. (laughs) So we drove to the park, and uh, I showed him the park and the playground where we played. And he said, "Uh, Rudy, uh, he told me something that no other coach has ever told me before. He said, Rudy, uh, if you go to one of those big-time basketball schools, they're going to do well whether you go or not. He said, but if you come to LSU, you can always say you built something. He said, we're last in the SEC. Mm -hmm. He said, I got some players that can put around you. He said, you and I, we can build this program and take it to the top. I said, well, Coach, I said, I understand that. I said, but I got a lot of folks after me, but I did narrow it down. I gave you a shot. I visited your school. Right. He said, here's how we're going to do it. And we sent, spent two hours 
laying out how we were going to build the program. And it happened just as we, we planned it there. And Denny Crum was still waiting at the school. <laughs> <laughs> of course he wanted to leave it. Yeah. But uh, that, that, him saying that, you can always see you built something. I wanted to build something. Yeah. And I came. And when everybody was saying, don't do it, don't do it. You know? So this is 1975, 1976. 1976 yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, not just Louisville, but uh, Kentucky and Kentucky, Lexington was Tennessee, considered to be Tennessee, one of the premier Northern schools. Scarlet. Yes. Uh, and, 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 and so it was a real coup to get you out of the state of Kentucky to come down to uh, LSU. It was it was like, what in the world are you thinking? I, mean, yeah. I had the newspapers weren't kind to me at all, mm-hmm. especially in Lexington with University of Kentucky. They called me a Benedict Arnold. Mm-hmm. Uh, they said that they still practice voodoo in Louisiana. <laughs> and they got to watch the women there, and, and they still probably got cotton fields there. And uh, these were coaches now and yeah. regular people saying yeah. these things. I said I never saw these things when I went there mm-hmm. to visit. Mm-hmm. It was a great school yeah. and uh, great facilities. And so you know I had to take all of that, and mm-hmm. I really just took a risk you know going to a football school right last in the conference didn't know it till I got here the coach was about to be fired Mm -hmm. and here I am taking a chance signing with this school yeah and so there was a big risk on my part. So at the time that you came, Coach Brown was about to be fired? That was the rumor because uh, wow. I, I didn't know it. And that's one I, did, I had not yeah, heard. Because he had been yeah. there five years already. Right. And so he never had a winning season. Right. And uh, when I got it was right at the first game at Tulane, uh, that's when the – the locker room was filled with, you know, rumors, of course, from Kenny Higgs. Uh, he was saying, hey, the word is, if we don't win this game, especially against Tulane, an arch rival, right. coach is going to be fired. We're going to lose our scholarships. Right. So the locker room was in a tense panic, kind of, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. And um, I said, I came down here with all of this. And I was really, you know, having, you know, second thoughts because Charles Alexander, the football running back, great uh, player, uh, invited me to their media day. Mm-hmm. And they had magazines from newspapers from all over the country, from Sports Illustrated to Sporting News, you name it, they were there. Right. We had our media day. All we had was the Morning Advocate and the Daily Reveille, yeah. the school newspaper. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. And so I called my mom. We had lost to Athletes in Action, you know, former pro players, real badly. I said, Mom, I think I, I, think I might have made a mistake. Mm-hmm. She said, what do you mean? She said, I said, well, it don't seem like anybody, you know, like basketball down here. It's a, barely anybody comes to the game, maybe two or 300 people. If it wasn't for the Tiger Band, we wouldn't have anybody. And I said, uh, she said, you're not going anywhere. She said, you made a commitment. You have to honor it. Mm-hmm. She said, son, you never know. They got you down there for a reason. Mm-hmm. You may be the one to make the difference. And that difference came against Tulane mm-hmm. when I pulled 32 rebounds and we blew them out of the gym. Yeah. And then we won like 10 straight games. Yeah. So that's when it started. Well, I was a student uh, yeah. uh, at that time. And, and I know for a fact mm-hmm. I watched LSU basketball grow from nothing. Mm-hmm. And uh, you and Ethan Martin yeah. and Greg Cook and Dwayne Scales mm-hmm. made LSU basketball something special. Oh, uh, I sat in the student section, and and sitting is 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 the incorrect way of saying it because we stood <laughs> for the entire yeah, time. Yeah. But it was the most exhilarating thing that I had ever seen. Uh, uh, 
because LSU was, as you say, mm-hmm. a football yeah. school. You were really a part of a transformative moment, uh, not just in LSU athletics, but in Louisiana culture. And uh, uh, that's, that, that, that's a tremendous uh, accolade uh, that you can always uh, uh, fall back on, mm-hmm. that, that you made a transformative difference in how people thought about basketball uh, here in the state of Louisiana. And as we're sitting here recording, uh, this version of the LSU Tigers is getting ready to play in the Sweet 16. And uh, we don't know how the outcome is going to be, but, but all of that is built upon the foundation that you guys laid back 30, 40 years ago. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's, 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 you know, you never know uh, the plan from the man upstairs until you actually going through it. I did. I thought, yes, I, you know, was a, uh, probably the catalyst for turning the program around. Yeah. But it was more than that because Coach Brown said it was difficult for him to recruit top flight players, mm-hmm. you know, high school All-Americans. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't take a chance going there because of the same rumors they heard. I heard also right. how negative they were toward LSU. Right. And he said, by me coming, it told the rest of the country, the great players, it's okay to come to LSU. Yeah. You know, and yeah. so we were able to get a Dwayne Scales and Ethan Martin and Willie Sims. Yeah. And the recruiting really blossomed after that. Yeah. But somebody had to come in order to make it happen. It's okay. Yeah. And that bad person was me. Yeah. And I wow. just, you know, thank God for that, that I, I didn't leave. <laughs> I stayed the course, you know. And one of the things that, that, that I remember as, as a young man, I'm, I'm, I'm not that far behind you, mm. but, but I remember as, as my father pastored this church, is that uh, you started attending Shiloh, even as a student at LSU. And here we are 40-plus years yeah. later, and you're still a member of the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church in Baton Rouge. Well, Louisiana. I don't know if you knew this, but you Daddy knew my home church in Louisville, Kentucky. Is that right? Was Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. <laughs> <laughs> so you came here because of the name. <laughs> no. I, it was Reverend Ron Abernathy, my high school coach, yes. came with me. You know, right. And he said, you know, we got to get us a church home. Yeah. It was. Yeah. He discovered Shiloh first. Okay. I went to a couple of other churches, but okay. he came to Shiloh first. All right. And told me, we need to go to this, this Shiloh Chapel Baptist Church here. Okay. I came here, man, and I was just blown away. Okay. You know, when the choir got up. Yeah. We had Miss Pat back there. Yes. Man, I was blown away. And the place was packed. Yes. And then when your father got up and spoke, I'm like, oh, yeah. This is it. This is it. This is it. And I told yeah. my mom, I said, Mom, guess what? I'm attending another Shiloh here in Baton Rouge, man. It was awesome. It was That's awesome. fabulous. That's yep. fabulous. So, down through the years, you, 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 you played your college ball and finished your college career. You played pro ball, played for the Hawks, and you played for the Knicks, and you played in the CBA, and you played overseas in the Philippines. What brought you back to Baton Rouge after having experienced all of that in these other places? It, Pastor, it was, it was more of a misfortune than anything. Um, when the doctors told me I could no longer play, mm-hmm. I suffered from a condition called hyperhidrosis, where I lose the fluids in my body three times faster than the average man. Okay. And it got worse when I got with the Knicks, mm-hmm. and I collapsed, and I was in the hospital two weeks, and they said I wouldn't be able to play ball anymore. But I had this nagging pain in my back also, and I didn't know I was playing with a slightly fractured in my back mm-hmm. as well. But in the NBA, in any pro sports, every player plays with something. Mm-hmm. It's always a nagging injury of some sort. And those were my two 
injuries, you know. One's with condition with the, the, uh, the dehydration. Where you, mm-hmm. If you get a cramp in your leg, you know what that feels like. But imagine getting the cramps all over your body at the same time. Yeah. And it got to the point when I had to have two hours of IV in my veins wow. before I played, two hours of IV afterwards. You know, and so I went to all kind of specialists and all that. And they basically just took my money. So when I got with the Knicks, Hubie Brown said, Rudy, he said, you're definitely a 12-year pro. I was a starting guard in the NBA, and then my coach is telling me, you, we're going to have to find out what's causing this. Mm-hmm. He said, I've never seen anything like it. Mm-hmm. He said, I'm going to release you so you can go and find out uh, how to you know, solve this problem, this medical condition, and then we'll bring you back. And so I went to all these specialists and all that, and uh, nothing really you know, came about it, but I wanted to play. Mm-hmm. So my agent said, you got to go to the CBA to, you know, kind of get back in it. So I went to the CBA. My coach was Phil Jackson. Okay. And uh, I told the trainer, don't tell Phil Jackson about my condition. Just let me get my IV. Let me play. Let me get my IV. The hospital, and that's it. And we won the championship. Mm-hmm. And instead of going back with the Knicks, the Clippers called and gave Al for me more money. So I signed with the Clippers and moved to L.A. Well, the first week of practice, I collapsed again. Mm. And this way, this time, I went through all kinds of extensive tests. I mean, tests I never, you know, thought were kind of weird, you know. And then I collapsed again. I had the uh, cramps all over my body. One of the doctors ran out of the room, got some other doctors. And I'm laying there just, you know, in excruciating pain. And they all surrounded me around the bed. Mm-hmm. They had some white gowns on and said, Mr. Mackler, we think you should change professions. And so uh, I drifted around. Mm-hmm. You know, I couldn't believe I wasn't playing anymore. Here, here I am, a starting guard in the NBA right. at the Knicks at the time, last year on contract, about to sign the big one. And uh, I went down. And so I didn't know what to do with my life at the time. And at the time, the woman I thought I was going to marry, she left. And so uh, it was like, what do I do now? Well, mm-hmm. I came back to Baton Rouge. I had to get a job like a regular person. Mm-hmm. And uh, worked at the bank. Uh, American Bank at the time. Uh-huh. And during the off-season, uh, during the NBA, I worked at that bank as a business development officer. Bob Pettit suggested that I do that to learn how you know business works and also how to handle your money. Mm-hmm. And so I took his advice and worked every summer at the bank. Well, the bank brought me back, and I started at the bottom as a teller, all the way up to management training program, loan officer. What was that like to, to to go from being the celebrated Rudy Macklin yeah. to having to start all over again in a different profession yeah. where nobody is cheering your name mm-hmm. uh, and, and and you're working as a teller? What what was that experience like? Well, financially it was a big experience because you're making six figures up here <laughs> and then down down they're making twenty seven thousand dollars as yeah. a trainer, okay, yeah. as a teller, and. Uh, it was heartbreaking, and I didn't really know how hard life can be, mm-hmm. could be until the bank went under and they laid me off. Okay, think about all the things that I had accomplished, right. Baton Rouge and done, and I still got laid off. And the president, vice president of the bank called some prominent alumni in LSU and said, hey, look, Rudy's about to get laid off in a week. Can somebody help him? And the help never came. And I'm going to tell you, Pastor, the most humiliating thing I ever done was standing the unemployment line, you know. And a friend of mine suggested, go when it's about to close, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I was trying to avoid spending money I had saved from playing in the NBA and just rely on my own salary. But now I had to go ask for unemployment. And I stood in line 
It was a few people in line, and I was about to break. And she stood there and held my hand. Her name was Monica Hill. And I got to the counter, and I couldn't speak. And the guy, the manager, saw I was about to break. He said, Mr. Mack, won't you come around to my office? He came, took me to his office, and, and waited on me and got my unemployment benefits. Yes, sir. Nobody would give me an interview. Yes, sir. And nobody would give me a job. So the general manager of the Atlanta Hawks, my old team, called me. We always tell each other jokes over the phone. And I told him what I was getting, what I was going through. And he said, why don't you move back to Atlanta and I'll help you. And he helped me get a job in Atlanta. And uh, worked there as a transportation uh, supervisor there for Pony Express. Now first, no, first I worked at Turtle Records. Got fired. She <laughs> 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 got fired as magic trainee at Turtle Records. Because my resume has always been basketball. Right. So I had to start at the bottom. Right. Then I worked at Circuit City. Okay. Which is like a best buy. I remember Circuit City. Low, yes. uh, supervising guys load trucks. And I interviewed during the day, worked at night. Okay. Couldn't, still couldn't get a job, though, the kind of job I wanted. Then Pony Express called. You know, Got that job. I was outbound manager for the number one branch in the country. And I was, had a background in logistics. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's when uh, Governor Edwin Edwards' son called when he got elected and said, Daddy said he got a spot just for you. But that whole experience. Yeah. Of going, and then the IRS came tum coming at me. Yeah. I had a son along the way, and then I just went completely broke. I went completely broke. Yeah. And it was starting over was really hard from the bottom. And that's when your faith kicks in. Yeah. That's when the sermons I used to hear your dad talk about. I had to reach back and reach for that man he used to tell me about that when things get tough, who you rely on. And that's why I had to rely on my faith. And uh, I worked. Uh, consulting work on the side, a little uh, jobs for people, that type of thing to help out, uh, volunteering, that type of stuff, just to keep me afloat yes, sir. and to keep going. Yes, and uh, eventually got back on my feet. And so now I'm... And now you are the longest tenured uh, governor's appointee in the history of the state of Louisiana. Yes. Uh, you run the Department of Physical Fitness for the Governor's Council. You run uh, the Bureau of Minority Health Access. I think it's important for our listeners, our viewers, to recognize that life is not made of just success after success mm -hmm. after success, but that life is about responding to failure and, mm -hmm. how, and, and how you respond to it. In your capacity... Uh, with, with with the governor's office, uh, having survived several different kinds of governors, and and I'll be kind and leave it <laughs> at at that. What is it that uh, your background brought to you to help you to maintain mm -hmm. and to uh, excel? in the governor's uh, position that, that that you're in now? Oh, man, I had, uh, with the Governor's Council on Fitness, actually, I interviewed with uh, Governor Edward Edwards and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Because Arnold Schwarzenegger was the, pre uh, the uh, president of the California Governor's Council. He okay. was going around the country persuading states to start a, a fitness council. But Louisiana had one, but they couldn't get it going. Okay. And so I interviewed with them, too. And so... Um, my background, I, I'm, I've always been a pretty doggone good salesman, mm -hmm. okay? And um, my ability 
to give speeches, uh, public speaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, to get people to work together as a team, teamwork. Because I was a, I was always a captain of my team everywhere I played. Mm-hmm. And uh, making people work as a team, I took it to the boardroom to get people. I sat around the boardroom to get them to work as one. Mm-hmm. And I always had a plan. Okay, in basketball, you got to have plans, mm-hmm. many plans. I always had a plan, and I always stressed on producing outcomes. If you have a plan that has no outcomes, it's not going to be successful. Okay, so I, I took that with me into the boardroom. And when I had my first meeting with the Governor's Fitness Council, we had uh, several people in the room that everybody had different ideas on what to do. Uh, we even had Morris Bart in there. <laughs> and uh, it was funny. To, I got to tell you this quick story. Man. <laughs> we had a pastor, and I forgot his name. And we was about to start the meeting, and the pastor said, I think we should have a prayer before our first meeting. And Mars Bart, Mars Bart, who is Jewish, right. said, well, we hope it's a generic prayer, you know. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, no, this ain't going to turn out well. <laughs> so the pastor, his first law four lines of his prayer was, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. <laughs> man, I tried everything to keep him laughing. And, man, that prayer went on and on and on. And he said, in Jesus' name, you know. I'm like, I love him to death. And Morris Bar didn't get up and walk out. He turned red, man. And we never saw Mars Bar. <laughs> that was the last time we saw him. And so uh, and so I saw that a lot of the members were there not as a working board. Mm-hmm. You know, and I said, this is not gonna go well. So we didn't have a budget. I told people we had I had a plan for raising money, mm-hmm. getting sponsorships, mm-hmm. because Governor Edwin Edwards said, There is no budget. He said, build it, treat it like a business. He said, That's why I got you here. Mm-hmm. That's what he told me. I mm-hmm. said, Okay, I like that challenge. Well, my board members wasn't having it. So I said, I called him up, Governor. Hey, Rudy, is there any way you can probably give me some new members? <laughs> I was like, these members don't want to work. Yeah. And so I got new members. Okay. You know, and uh, laid out a plan of how we wanted to go and, and a strategic plan for the board. And all of them had duties. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it started blossoming, you know, pretty much right away. Louisiana is a state that is historically racially polarized. Mm-hmm. Uh, how were you able to cross through racial barriers in order to bring people together in a cohesive way in order to succeed uh, where others had not been able to succeed? I have a good home court advantage, my name. Everybody knew who Rudy Macklin is and was. Mm-hmm. And if I came to you and said, hi, I'm Rudy Macklin, or they already recognized me, I'm going to get through that door. But when I get through that door, I always was prepared. Mm-hmm. I always had a five-minute, 10-minute, 30-minute speech prepared, mm-hmm. or even a two-minute speech of what I wanted and what I wanted to go. I was always precise in what I wanted to ask from you, mm-hmm. okay? And I let you know what the outcomes would be. Mm-hmm. So I had to be a terrific salesman, mm-hmm. and I had to let them know that the state of Louisiana, as racially polarized as it is, poor, being poor does not discriminate. Mm-hmm. Being unhealthy does not discriminate, mm-hmm. okay? Being uh, physically inactive does not s- discriminate. 
So we are all in this together. When you live in a state that has the highest obesity rate in the country, mm-hmm. all right, the highest diabetes rate, hypertension, heart disease, and stroke, why would color play, play a role? Okay? Mm-hmm. You all, white people as well, are dying just as fast as we are, but we, we, we're dying more so faster. But you all are dying at accelerated rates also. Yeah. Let us come in and show you a better way to do this, a better way to eat, and a better way to be physically active, even though you are poor, mm-hmm. okay? And they listen to me. But if I go in and I'm going to tell you I'm going to do a certain thing, I had to do that thing. Because in the past, a lot of people would come in and do studies on these folks, mm-hmm. especially in the rural areas, do studies on them, gather the data, and they'd leave. But my difference was the way I was trained and taught, you have to establish relationships, Okay, I would go in just to say hi. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'd come in and say, "Oh, your boy playing tonight? Well, we going to see him play." Wow. Or, you know, his cousin, somebody's uncle or cousin, some had a special birthday party. Mind if I attend? I didn't care where it was. Mm-hmm. And if they called me and said, "Rudy, can you be here on this certain date?" If I had something on my schedule, don't worry about it. I'm going to be there. And so I established relationships all the time instead of coming to ask him, well, I need this from you, need that from you. Right. There were times I'd come in, just, I'm just come see how you're doing, let's go get something to eat. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's all about relationships. Yeah. And that's how I was able to survive, no matter what area I'd go into. That is fabulous, and, and, and it's a lesson that uh, young people need, need to learn, that uh, relationships it are is. important. Let, let, let me flip the question. Okay. Uh, you were a premier athlete and a premier black athlete uh, in a sport uh, that at the time was not very popular uh, in this state uh, and for a school that for black folk uh, still yeah. has has popularity problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it's always interesting to me, especially the football season, the number of African-American folk in this state mm-hmm. that are Alabama fans <laughs> as opposed to LSU fans yeah. and who revel mm-hmm. in in Alabama uh, beating LSU on the gridiron. Mm-hmm. Uh how do you come across within the African-American community? Uh, do, 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 do you get criticism because you went to LSU as opposed to uh, going to a, a historically black college or university? Uh, are, do, do people uh, treat you like you're an LSU apologist as opposed to someone who's representing uh, the total welfare of all people in this state? Do, do you get negative feedback is what I'm trying to ask. What I do is, first of all, I stop wearing suits, okay? I dress just like this mm-hmm. when I go and visit. And when I go and talk to them, I never talk about myself unless they bring it up. Okay. All right? I never talk about my accolades or what I did at LSU and all of that. I come to talk to them about them. All right, and then later on they may ask, "Oh, what was it like playing against Alabama and Kentucky and all that?" Mm-hmm. They will go into it, mm-hmm. but they seem to—I got to get them to trust me. Number one rule of minority health I was trained is establish trust. Mm-hmm. I have to get them to trust me. So I'm going in, keep talking about me, me, me. You know, they're gonna say, "Yeah, we we know about you. Yeah, that's fine, but you know, we not sure we can trust you." Mm-hmm. I want, I'm going in to tell me about yourself. Mm-hmm. Tell me how you grew up. Mm-hmm. What's it like around living in the area where you live? You know, what about the uh, 
the stores around here, but good healthy eating places, you know. And I said, I know this area, I got because I have the data already in my head. I know this area is high in diabetes rates, amputee rates. You know, tell me about this. Mm-hmm. You know, so I go in just as a plain regular person, as a friend to them, concerned about their health and well-being, mm-hmm. and the rest will come later. And uh, that's that's my secret to really getting them to open up to me and trust me. Like the Native American tribes I I, I work with uh, around the state, it took one tribe two and a half years for the chief to trust me. You know, but I was going to get his trust Mm -hmm. because I always came like this. I always talked about his family first and talked about his tribal members. Mm -hmm. And I always came through. Mm-hmm. Okay, if I told him I couldn't do something, I said, well, I really can't do that, but let me try something else. Mm-hmm. I kept my promise. I kept mm-hmm. my word. And uh, that they appreciated. And then after two and a half years, he told me, he said, well, Rudy, he said, we've been friends now for over two years. He said, now I'm going to show you some other things. And so I got his trust. And that's I have to, I have to gain trust with these people when I go into uh, Latino communities or mm-hmm. the Asian Pacific Islander communities, mm-hmm. you know, or the Native American communities, and even African American communities. I have to gain their trust because right. these people have been used and abused so badly, right. especially in small towns, yeah. you know, and, and ignored by the state itself. Yeah. And the community grants that I give out to these people, you know, it's not a lot of money, but it's something that can help them improve their way of life. Life. Yeah, that is how you gain the trust yeah. of these people. In your role as uh, the head of uh, physical fitness, I'm sure that part of what you do has to do with nutritious mm-hmm. uh, eating and diet and what have you. One of the problems that exists within the Baton Rouge community, and I would imagine, in other communities across this state, has to do with food deserts, mm-hmm. with with uh, lack of access to nutritious food. Uh, how do you advocate uh, to eliminate food deserts? Is, is that part of your role in the governor's office? Do, do, do you work with people to try to eliminate food deserts within yes. our communities? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Uh, I've helped other communities around the state with community gardens, mm-hmm. you know, and even let, teach the kids how to till the land and that kind of, kind of stuff, uh, farmers markets and things like that. Because I live in Baton Rouge, a lot of people think that I have to concentrate on Baton Rouge only. They, right. they don't want me to go outside. They want me to, why come you don't do this in Baton Rouge? I said, well, Baton Rouge has more, a lot of resources. Right. You know, but the rural areas don't. So I focus a lot on the rural areas. Right. But back to your point, yes, we work when it, on, on uh, communities that have food deserts because mm-hmm. when a child or even an adult step outside their door and they can't go look to the left or the right to see where a good grocery store is that has good you know, fruits and vegetables right. that they can eat and, 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 and choose from, then something wrong, mm. you know. And so we help alleviate that and help with the uh, getting the dollars in from the federal government because the state really is not going to give you any money at all. You know, I rely on federal grants a lot, you know, and I have some sponsors that, you know, help me out as well mm-hmm. but uh, from foundations. But uh, it's, it's, it's really tough, you know, because... Uh, Food in Louisiana, they could take the worst foods in terms of health is concerned mm-hmm. and make it taste so good. Yes, they can. <laughs> oh, my gosh, Yes, they can. Man. They can do that. Yes, they and can. And so when I pick up a food like crackling, uh-huh. I know it's not good. <laughs> but when I bite into that crackling. <laughs> I know. And, you know, and I, 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 I went to my first bougerie. 
Okay, they took the pig. Nobody spoke on behalf of the pig. <laughs> okay, they skinned him alive, cut him up, and they had people with bowls and plates standing by to get all the parts of the pig. And they went and cooked it and came back with it. Yeah. And they said, this is how we eat every day. Yeah. Every day? Yeah. Nothing green around here? Yeah. This is how you eat every day? Yeah. I mean, there's something to that. And we have, Louisiana has too many festivals. It all, it's got to be over 100 and some festivals around mm-hmm. the state of Louisiana. Mm-hmm. And all of them are associated with food. Yeah. Everything has to do with food with these festivals. Yeah. Okay? And everywhere you go, there's a festival, and they've got all this unhealthy eating going on. You know? And when you try to talk to them about it, and we have cooking classes for folks to teach people how to cook healthy and all of that, they don't want to hear that. Yeah. The time. It's yeah. hard convincing them until... A doctor tells them is either get it together right. or you die. Right. You know, right. That's the only time they'll move. Yeah. You know? So <laughs> it's tough. I know that uh, when, when the legislature uh, meets and they're about to go into session in, in, in the next week or, or so, uh, that you have a role to play in setting the health agenda for the state of Louisiana. What's on your agenda for this coming uh, legislative session? Well, the head of the Department of Health, uh, we have this uh, taking aim at cancer, Louisiana, called Tackle that deals with uh, mostly uh, colon cancer and uh, breast cancer Mm -hmm. and uh, HIV. And uh, I stuck it in myself for obesity because obesity crosswalks with a whole lot of other illnesses and diseases. And so we're going to be dealing with that. My my, uh, function, part of that whole thing for the governor, uh, is his initiative. Uh, I'm the community engagement person because I have all the contacts uh, in those communities and Mm -hmm. areas mostly. Mm-hmm. Uh, to help engage these folks to, to raise awareness and education about it and also screenings. April coming up is Minority Health Month. We have Minority Health Month activities going on throughout the entire month of April. So uh, last year we had 64 locations around the state that had Minority Health activities dealing with screenings, workshops, conferences, you know, cooking mm-hmm. classes, anything that deals with nutrition classes, anything that deals with minority health mm-hmm. and health care. It went on in 64 locations. Well, this time, I got a contract. I made a, made a contract with the Louisiana Primary Care Association, which oversees all the FQACs in the state. What's an FQAC? Federally Qualified Health Center. Thank you. Okay, I'm sorry. Okay. No. no, no, no. I just want those <laughs> who are listening. Okay. Yeah. Federally Qualified Health Centers. Okay. And uh, your little rural clinics and things like that. Uh, we gave out. We gave the money to uh, Louisiana Primary Care Association to distribute monies to all the FQACs to host the minority health activities instead of 64 locations now. Now we got over 200. Yes, sir. All right. And at the same time, we created the physical activity challenge for the city of New Orleans, uh, which they launched yesterday. They had a press conference yesterday. Mm -hmm. And uh, the mayor of New Orleans wants to get the city of New Orleans to move and eat healthy. And they're using our platform we have online called Own Your Own Health, which is an online physical activity and nutrition tracking system where we track your steps and your food intake and your water intake, mm-hmm. and you can form teams and have competitions. Mm-hmm. Well, the mayor is having one big challenge for everybody for the state of New Orleans, which is starting on April 1st. Then the National Office of Minority Health and HHS Health and Human Services in, in Washington, D.C., called me a couple of months ago and said they want to do a nationwide challenge using our platform. 
And so that starts on April 1st as well. Okay. And so, uh, plus the Native American tribes we work with, they have diabetes walks and, 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 and some other, you know, health-related stuff going on. All this is going on in the month of April. And so, by doing all these things, uh, we're trying to really encourage people, not only during the month of April, but beyond that, to c- keep this going constantly. And in the legislative session, we're going to let them know this is what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is what it takes to keep this going. Mm-hmm. You know, will you support us, especially to reduce and eliminate health disparities, especially when it comes to cancer. So taking aim at cancer is the top initiative for the health department coming up this legislative session. Okay. And all the stuff that I do plays into that yeah. and gives light to what's going on. So it's really going to be exciting. It's going to really make the governor look and the state of Louisiana look really good. I heard you mention HIV. <clears throat> um, Baton Rouge still suffers with HIV Ooh, uh, at epidemic rates. Yeah. Uh, other than uh, shifts in, in behavior, yeah. uh, what is it that the state can do to help uh, to bring down those numbers of, of, of HIV uh, patients? That is what we're going to start working on. <clears throat> it's already begun. Uh, when my stuff ends, uh, all of my stuff ends, well, slows down, actually. Uh, we're going to go full throttle on it. Uh, that's one area, one health issue that we hadn't paid enough attention in a long time. Not since the uh, Edwin Edwards era, when I first started. We had a strong emphasis on HIV AIDS. Mm-hmm. I saw something. I saw a map of North Baton Rouge. Mm-hmm. It was a confidential map. Mm-hmm. I can't show it to anybody, but I can tell you what I saw. Sure. On the map, it had a house uh, and all the houses in North Baton Rouge and a dot, a red dot, where every person with HIV lived. And it almost brought me to tears. Yeah, I can imagine how many dots you it saw. It was a bunch of dots. Yeah. Okay, in North Baton Rouge. Yeah. Baton Rouge has the highest HIV rates among black women in the country. All right. And it is amazing uh, I would like to see some type of legislation that deals with HIV when prisoners, when they come out of prison, to be mm-hmm. tested. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a hot button issue there. Uh, but it's going to come down to personal behavior as well, right? Uh, especially when it comes to needle sharing. Yeah. And uh, but uh, another thing that scared me was a friend of mine that went to the doctor, and she, they were good friends, and he had a stack of files on his desk like that. And she said, "Won't you clean up your desk, doc? You know, files." There. He said. Those are files with people with HIV, and I can't even find them to tell them. So that's how bad it is mm-hmm. uh, in Baton Rouge, and that's something that we are really going to focus on hard coming up. Uh, they've been meeting constantly. Uh, I haven't made but one of the meetings, but I'm going to start attending more often right after April, mm-hmm. and we're going to hit that head on. Yeah. And then my own personal uh, health deal uh, was is prostate cancer, you know, because I'm a survivor of it. Right. And uh, I would really like to put my personal stamp on it. But HIV, we need that badly, man, especially to educate our HBCUs, mm-hmm. okay, and uh, even at LSU, too. Mm-hmm. You just don't hear about them as much. Right. Uh, but uh, we really got to do something about it because it's almost be, if we don't do anything right now, it's going to be as common as a flu. Yeah. And that's a bad thing. Yeah. So yeah. That, that's something we have to really pay attention to. 
can the church do a better job of 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 uh, being bases of information uh, being disseminated out into the community than what we're doing? G- g- give me a raw. Honest assessment. Oh, uh, you no, asked me to I, be honest. I, I, oh, I am. I I'm, I'm asking I you to be it. honest. Okay. What is it that African American churches could and should be doing that we are not doing? In our congregation, if you had a magic wand and you could wave it and see all the people in that church that has diabetes, mm-hmm. uh, if our pastor... Every Sunday he gets up, have a few wellness messages and be good, but participate in some of the things that would. I did ask for this, didn't I? <laughs> you asked for it. <laughs> I did ask for you it. You asked for it. Yes. You asked for it. Now, some churches that I work with, the pastors took it upon themselves. Yes. Yeah. I'm losing 100 pounds by the end of the year. Yeah. I'm going to walk every week. And I expect y'all to walk with me. I'm going to eat a healthy meal, and I expect y'all to eat it with me. They are the ones that had the most success, the ones that participate and stick with it. Mm -hmm. Okay? If you go, that's why I'm not a big fan of these run walks that last one day. Okay. You know, they last one day, everybody go home, they go back, and they eat and drink whatever they want. Right. But if you get those programs like my Own Your Own Health, we ask for a three-month commitment. Mm -hmm. Okay? You take a little break. Then mm-hmm. give me three more months, mm-hmm. okay? But if you they, if your congregation see you doing it, yeah. you know, and you demand them, and your deacons too, you know, your <laughs> choir members too, you know, these are the the, the influential people in the church, you know, yeah. you're the ones yeah. that everybody kind of look up to. Yeah, if they all participate, okay, every week and track it. Have some incentives attached to it, mm-hmm. which I can help out with. Mm-hmm. Have some incentives attached to it and have a commitment saying by December 31st, we will have lost this much weight. We would have gained, accumulated this many steps, all right, and accumulated this many miles, all right? And for those of you who are uh, insulin dependent, you know, how many of you are still using insulin? Mm-hmm. I guarantee you a lot of them mm-hmm. will be insulin free. Mm-hmm. By the time you do it now to December 31st, it's all about the mindset. I don't know if I should have asked you this you question. Asked me, you asked me. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. I, if, I put, if I put a box of crossbones and a skull on the ground that had poison on it, you wouldn't touch it. That's true. Okay. But if I tell you you need to do this, this, and this to live, it's harder for you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It, it it is very difficult. Yeah. I have my battles. Okay. Yeah. I have my battles. But you don't look like you have. But no I, I refuse. Uh-huh. Here's when I first took the job. I was starting to get a little weight on me. Uh huh. You know when I came, I got out of the shower one day. I had a big, big mirror, and I turned sideways, looked at myself in the mirror. And I said, "Ooh, this stomach has got to get down there a little bit." You know? Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah. I went back to my. You know, normal kind of training camp regiments a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I said, if I'm going to be the director of fitness for the state, I have to look the part. I understand that. And so I want to look the part. I, I understand that. I respect that. I appreciate that. Okay. I have tried this before. Okay. Since you made it personal and brought it to me. I did. I have I have lost weight only to gain that weight back 
plus more. When 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 my second son was 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 born, yep. I lost sixty five pounds. Mm-hmm. I, I, I went to Pennington and went gotcha. into their executive weight loss program gotcha. and did all of that. Mm-hmm. And I lost sixty five pounds in the first year. In the second year, I gained back about eighty. You know what the problem was? Is and was and is now. You keep saying I. Yeah. You need people around you to support you to go through the same things with you. You need to do it as a team. That's why you got a congregation out here. Yeah. You get your congregation to go through it with you. Y'all support each other. Because you're going to fall off the wagon a time or two. Somebody's going to say, oh, 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 come on now. Yeah. You got to do it with people. You can't do it by yourself. You cannot do it. You will always fail if you do it by yourself the majority yeah. of the time. You're, you're, you're my church member. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've got Ellen McKnight here, who who is a nutritionist, and she's my church. My doctor is, is yeah. a member of this church, okay. and, and, and she stays on me, yep. too. Uh, so when I had Ellen sitting in your seat, uh-huh. I, I, I made a commitment to her yeah. that I was going to lose weight. And I did, okay. but I've gained. You, you still I, I've gained. I, I, I am, okay. and, and, and I gained much of that back. Okay. I, we're working to try to bring that okay. back down. Right. I'm going to make the commitment to you. Okay. And to this audience, that uh, I'm going to develop a team around me, and you're going to inform the team. You're going to be the coach of the team, team. and you're going to help me because I'm 57 years old. I weigh 350 pounds, which is way too much much. for a man my age. I have blood pressure problems. I have diabetes problems. Thank God I don't have any heart problems as of yet. But all those things are coming if I don't get this weight off of me. And it won't give you any warning when it comes. No. No, it'll just happen. It'll just happen. So for me, I I have reached the point where it's critical. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's no longer optional. If I plan on being around here for a while Mm -hmm. and have any kind of a quality of uh, of life that I would like to have, then it's crucial that I get this weight mm-hmm. off of me. So, so we gonna put together a team. Put Rudy. together a team. And, All right. And, and, and what we gonna do? If it's a weight loss goal, everybody's gonna write their weight on a piece of paper mm-hmm. without the name on it. Okay. Okay. We gonna add it up. Okay. Okay. We gonna put it in our own your own health system. Okay. Okay. We have a series of activities we're gonna do. Okay. Okay. Halfway through the program, we're gonna add our weight up again as a team. And see how much we lost as a team. Everything okay. as a team. Okay. And I'm not interested in what you. I got you. But as I a got team, you. Yeah. We're going to add our weight up again. And we're going to go through it again. And we're going to add it up in the end again. That's okay. We're going to do the weight loss. Okay. But we're going to have a series of activities each week that the team is going to do. Now, the team has got to decide how dedicated they're going to be to this. Don't tell me, well, let me check my schedule. <laughs> you know, no, you're going to set aside at least 30 minutes. Or more with your team. Okay. Okay. Tell your tell your grandkids and your daughters, your children. I'm gonna keep your kids later on. I need this 30 minutes for me. You have to prioritize your schedule for 30 minutes or more. Okay. Okay. That's the only way. And I guarantee you, when you get on a roll, and it lasts for six months, mm-hmm. if you miss a couple of days, you're gonna say, "Oh no, I can't do this. I got to get back to it." It's gonna be in your system now. You're gonna be used to it. Yeah. And then when you start eating correctly. Any junk food you put in is going to reject it. It's going to cramp you up real bad. Oh, no, this is the wrong kind of foods. So no more Oreos. <laughs> Not the Oreos. <laughs> no more chips or horse. <laughs> 
Come on, man. After a healthy meal, after a healthy meal, two Oreos, that's it. Oh. <laughs> after a healthy meal. Okay. Two Oreos, that's it. Well, if, if you let me have two. I, I, I love windmill cookies myself. Okay. You know, so I have. I, and here's another thing that the team is going to do. Okay. When we go to work, mm-hmm. we're going to brown bag. I brown bag every day. Okay. Not only you saving money, okay, but also you're selecting the healthy things you put in your bag. Yeah. And you're taking it with you. Yeah. All right. We're gonna brown bag every day. Okay. So you don't eat out. I'm I'm, I'm just curious. Oh, do do, maybe do you eat out? No, not all that. I'm very very seldom, unless I'm eating with a group of people, like mm-hmm. a, a business meeting or something like that. Right. We eat out, but very seldom. I yeah. I like practicing cooking now. Healthy. Because you, for for those who are watching via YouTube, this man is 60 years old. And he looks 61. like he, 61. <laughs> forgive me. He's 61 years old. He looks like he's 40 years old. And I know for a fact because I've seen him do it. He can run. He can lift. He can do all the things that men half his age mm-hmm. can do. So he's a walking billboard for what he's talking about. And 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 I admire that. But I got another remedy <clears throat> too for you. It's 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 it's, it's for the mental part of your uh, well being as well, more so than anything, believe it or not, and the physical. I always play with children. If you play with children, mm-hmm. play games with them, you know, your blood pressure is gonna go down ten points. I always like to surround myself. I love to see children play. Mm-hmm. I love when they scream and holler and all that. And I run around. I play the games with. I probably mm-hmm. know all the games children know. Mm-hmm. But I do that. I'm not, I don't look like this big old man who's hanging around children for the wrong reasons. Right. But I'm hanging around for my mental state of mind and also mm-hmm. for be physically fit because kids run all day. Yeah. So I run and play with them. Yeah. You know, I got a group of kids, of friends of mine, got grandchildren. You know, I call it my crew, and I play with them. Yeah. And I come in sweating, playing with them. <laughs> but when I go home and take my blood pressure, I know it's, it's, it's going down. Yeah. So get involved and play with children. It's going to wear you out. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. It's going to wear you out. But it's, there, there's something about playing with children from the mental aspect of it. It's going to slow that Alzheimer's process down, buddy. <laughs> Well, we're, we're, we're going to put this together. All right, and, put that and, team together. And, and I'm going to stop saying I, and it's going to start being it's we. Gonna be it's going to be a team. Team effort. I'll be part of the team. Great. I'll Great. carve out my schedule, which is hard. I'll give you that 30-plus. But okay. i got to know that team is going to stay with it. Okay. Because if you don't, I'm going to have everybody's cell number. All right. I'm going to call you and say, wait a minute. We're supposed to be here. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And we're going to meet in different places. Yeah. Not just the same place all the time and have different things for you to do. Okay. Okay? And so okay. let the team, we, we can do it as one. And by December of, we'll of, pick a, of 2019. We'll pick, a, we'll pick a start date. We'll pick an end date. Okay. All right. All you right. make the announcement in the congregation. I will do that. All right. I and will so do that. we we going to put together a wellness team, Shiloh's wellness team. Okay. I'm the coach. Yes, sir. And everybody going to say, oh, not, <laughs> not him. <laughs> Anybody but Rudy Michael. Oh, yeah. And we're going to make it oh, work. Oh, yeah. We're going to make it work. Okay. We're going to make it work. I'm doing a uh, New Orleans board. I got them going. And uh, some other rural parishes. Yeah. And uh, it's amazing. I get them going. And when I leave, they kind of just fall off. Yeah. They, they depend on me yeah. so much. Yeah. You're the hub. Uh, yeah. So, you, you're you're yeah. the one who makes it all work. Well, I think this is home for me. Well, and, 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 so, we and, and so I I appreciate the fact that you're willing to make the effort. And I'm going to commit myself to it. And, I, and we're going to form a team. And we're going okay. to make right. that whole thing okay. work. A couple more things. Okay. Uh, 
the last several years, you have done color commentary uh, for high school athletics, mm-hmm. football, basketball. You enjoy doing that? You you, you enjoy working behind it's, it's the, fun. the camera and, and, and yeah. commentating on games and stuff like that? It's a lot of fun. Uh, I used to tell, I tell people sometimes, well, the games kind of pass me by mm-hmm. because uh, the style of play is different. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I used to play the mid-range, low-post game. And when I turned pro, I was converted to a guard, so I played the swing guard, small forward. And uh, but now everything is a jump shot game. Right. And uh, they don't teach the mid range game anymore, like, like the old days. Mm-hmm. But it's just fun to see young guys out there playing, and and I can see things pretty much before they happen. Yeah. You know, because of the experience, and uh, give my thoughts of uh, how they should improve on certain things and mm-hmm. what the tendencies of each team is trying to do. And it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. You know. When my children were small, they played in, in Breck athletics and stuff like that. One of the things that I always found interesting is that even at a very young age, five, six, seven years old, you could see who had real athletic ability. It's amazing. I mean, you, you had a bunch of kids out there, mm. but there was always one or two kids that yep. stood out yep. from the rest. We you call know, it the it yeah, factor. That, that's an athlete. Yep. That kid's going to do something. Yep. I imagine you get to see that also. I do. I do. Your father taught something a long time ago, um, but he never preached on it. He said there's something about the second son. I'm a second son. Uh, the second sons always have a little extraordinary abilities in certain things. My my brother played before me, mm-hmm. but he didn't excel to my level. Mm-hmm. But it was the second son, me, that excelled and went all the way. Mm-hmm. And my best friend, Dal Griffith, who's no one player in the country, he was the second son. Mm-hmm. So some about those second sons that have that it factor a yeah. lot of the times. And with all the governor's games events we have and sporting events we have, we go as young as five years old. We can see the five-year-olds. Mm-hmm and how great they're going to be. When our basketball tournament, when we have the eighth graders playing at the Lario Center in New Orleans, we could see, like Javante Smart for LSU, mm-hmm. he was in eighth grade when he played in our tournament. Okay. We knew he was going to be it. Yeah. Okay? And he, and it, it came to be. Right. And so we can tell who those, who that next player is going to be. Yeah. Yeah. That, that 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 that's fascinating. Yeah. Uh, that 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 ability is is evident at such an early age. You clearly have made the decision to make Baton Rouge your home. Uh, uh, and, and, and for me, that's good. I always close these uh, podcasts by asking my guests. Uh, usually, they're younger people. So, <laughs> and, and, and so, and so, I, I ask the question: Is Baton Rouge the place where you plan to plant your flag, or, or are you passing through? Well, let me ask you: uh, Do you regret that Baton Rouge is your home? That no. that, that 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 you decided to plant your flag? You, you, you've lived in other places across mm-hmm. the country, around the world, and yet you chose Baton Rouge as home. You know, I tried my best after the first term with Governor Edward Edwards. And my son lived in Atlanta, and I was having some issues with him. Mm -hmm. And I kept trying to go back. I never could go back. For years, Pastor, this is the truth, I kept trying to leave Baton Rouge. Mm -hmm. I would interview for jobs. I'd get to the top two or top five candidate, and they'd always tell me, well, we're just looking for the right fit. I had one recruiter tell me, a, a white lady say, well, you got two problems. She said, you're six foot six and you're black. And I said, I refuse to accept that. But <laughs> I go in these interviews, I'm like, whoa. Yeah. You know, but I never could move back. Okay. You know, and then so our friend, Mike Mallett, he said to me, he said, Rudy, 
Did you ever think, stop to think that God don't want you to leave? I said, man, Mike, you might be right. He said, look at the work you're doing. You know, you are in a position to change people's lives yes. by the work you're doing. Yes. He said, so there's a reason for you not finishing your career in basketball. I gave a speech one time called God's U-Turns. You know, that was my U-turn in life. Mm -hmm. I was on my way to being a 12-year pro and live on the beach and earn 20% on money. And I had this U-turn and lost everything. I had to start over. But now I see that this is what I was supposed to do. Mm -hmm. So I had, by looking at it like that, when Mike opened that up to me, I realized then I had to stop fighting it. And I had to let it go and say, okay, this is where I'm supposed to be. This is going to be home because I have a greater calling now. And so it became more than a job. It became kind of a ministry, I guess. That's wonderful. And I just accepted it. Now, when I retire, I've always had this thing. I wanted to have a beachfront property. Okay. Yeah, so I think I'm going to stay here a little while longer. <laughs> Baton Rouge will be <laughs> with the erosion that's taking oh, place. Oh, and it's really getting bad, too. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. man, it's getting yeah. bad. And so they, they, they can't stop it. Yeah. You know, a football field a year leaves. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. uh, yes, I think I always wanted to. I like being by water, mm -hmm. the ocean. Because mm -hmm. uh, one time the job was getting to me so bad, I went and uh, got a condo on the beach for a week. Everything went out to the water. Yeah. And I didn't think of work. I didn't think of anything. I just had my book and sat by the water. Yeah. You know, so yeah. Uh, that's what I think I want to do. Okay. Yeah. Baton Rouge is better that you came back this way. Louisiana is better that you came back this way. And Shiloh is better. Well, that this is my church again. home, man. I appreciate it. Thank you for taking the time to be hey, with us today. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you all for viewing. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back again next time.